Welcome to the Farm Credit Advocates Podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Fuchs, Senior Vice President of Government Affairs for Mid-Atlantic Farm Credit. You may recognize my voice by such familiar programs as Episode 2 of the Advocates Podcast, where I had the pleasure of chatting a little bit about my role here at Mid-Atlantic with your regular host, Jenny Kreischer. I enjoyed the experience so much that after months of begging and pleading, signing waivers, and a little bit of bribery, I've been given the microphone and the awesome opportunity to interview a mentor of mine, farm credit retiree, and current Delaware Deputy Secretary of Agriculture, Kenny Bounds. Kenny has served farmers and advocated for agriculture in the region his entire career. First, throughout his nearly four decades with Mid-Atlantic Farm Credit, and now in his current role with the Delaware Department of Agriculture. He's been a consistent voice in support of the region's poultry industry, instrumental in developing multiple ag leadership development programs, and helped innumerable farms and agribusinesses achieve success through his efforts at Farm Credit. Although I've had the distinct pleasure of knowing Kenny for nearly 20 years now, I learn something new every single time we chat. So I'm particularly excited about the conversation ahead and being able to share it with our audience. Kenny, thanks for taking the time from what I know is an extremely busy schedule to visit with us this afternoon. It's good to have you on the program. Kurt, it's great to be here. Uh, I always look forward to my time with my farm credit friends and uh, certainly valued my time uh, with farm credit and, and still consider them a major partner in the success of agriculture in the region. Well, Kenny, one of the things... Uh, one of the things as I was preparing for this interview is I was trying to remember the first time we met. And stop me if I'm uh, remembering this incorrectly, but I believe it was probably 2002. I was interning with the state executive director of Farm Service Agency at the time, um, Steve Conley in Maryland. And you and he uh, were meeting up for a lunch. Does that sound right? That, that does sound right, Kurt. That goes back a long way. And uh, there's been, <laughs> been a lot of water over the dam uh, since then. And, and we certainly have done uh, many things together and with other partners like Steve and the Maryland Department of Ag, Delaware Department of Ag, to work on agriculture issues. But, yeah, I have that same memory. It's, it's hard to believe that was almost 20 years ago now. It's uh, pretty wild. Can you... Can you Tell us a little bit about how you got started in a career in agriculture. Um, did you come from a farm family or pursue a production ag degree in, in school, or how did that come about? Well, Kurt, I didn't come from a farm family, uh, although my father grew up on a farm. But there were uh, seven siblings, and uh, no one continued on with that small farm operation. But I did work for many different farmers uh, in the area near Herlock, Maryland, where I grew up. Uh, my first jobs that I remember, and I, I was really young with this, I, back in the days when you had to hoe weeds, uh, I remember being out, uh, you know, pulling weeds and hoeing weeds, picking tomatoes and cucumbers. As I got a little bit older, went on to work for a grain and hay farmer, uh, driving a combine, driving trucks. And then worked for a, uh, a hog farmer who also had grain. Uh, I spent one summer uh, working at a pickle plant in Herlock. And then uh, probably toward the end of my uh, college career, when I was still doing summer jobs, I worked for the state of Maryland in a migrant seasonal farm worker advocacy uh, program, sort of liaison between the farmer 
and crews looking for work. So I had a lot of agriculture experience going into college, then ended up as an agronomy soils major at the University of Maryland College Park. What steered you towards farm credit? Did you start right out of of school with farm credit or um, how did you begin your, your time there? Well, Kurt, I've got to be honest, uh, as as I was approaching graduation, my wife was a year younger than me, and she was still in college, and I wanted to go back to grad school in soil chemistry, and my department chair, Dr. Jim Miller, who I will always remember and admire fondly for steering me to farm credit, sent me over to uh, Baltimore, Maryland, where at the time one of the regional banks was there, and he said, you know, you need to go see those farm credit folks. And I thought, well, golly, well, I'm not a finance guy, uh, but I'm going to follow Dr. Miller's advice. He's, he's never steered me wrong. And every time I saw Dr. Miller the rest of his life, when we saw one another, I would thank him for sending me uh, uh, to Farm Credit. It was a great fit for me. He read me like a book, and I never did end up back in school uh, for uh, uh, postgraduate uh, work toward a soils degree. But I did get to use my my soils experience multiple times in my career, just not in the fashion that I envisioned uh, at the time. As you mentioned earlier, I spent almost four decades at Farm Credit and loved almost every day there. So it ended up being a pretty phenomenal career for me from from a personal standpoint. I I couldn't have asked for a, a better place to be. My uh, comparatively short stint here at Farm Credit, um, I, I would agree wholeheartedly with uh, with those sentiments. Although I am disappointed, I can't refer to you as Doctor Kenny Bounds. Um, I'm uh, glad that you've been able to uh, serve Ag in a different way. Well, you can still call me Doctor Kurt. That's fine. Okay, very well, Doctor. <laughs> so, you you mentioned your your long tenure there at Farm Credit. I know you didn't spend all those years in one position. Can you tell us a little bit about the variety of of positions you held throughout your time there and and maybe walk us through that journey? Sure. Uh, Back back in those days, the district banks that were sort of the regulatory banks overseeing the local offices had a trainee program where they would bring college graduates in and put them in this uh, what they called field representative position and then send them out in the field to different associations to uh, gain experience uh, in the in the role as a loan officer and then when an association uh, had a job opening they would send that trainee there to um, apply for the role and 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 see if it was a fit for the loan officer and for the uh, the association my first assignment was really in Denton Maryland where I ended up spending a lot of time later and I was there for about six months as a first trainee and, and right out of college. And, you know, I had had some, some econ classes, of course, but, uh, you know, not ag finance. That was not my strength at the time. So the, uh, the major thing I did uh, at that time was move the buckets around to catch water coming in from the roof. Um, we were putting an addition <laughs> on the office. So I think, uh, you know, I, I, I was well qualified for doing that uh, at the time. Uh, but I went on to uh, <laughs> I went on to uh, to Georgetown, Delaware, as my my first assignment, where I was hired as a loan officer, and I had great mentors there, and you know those folks are friends to this day, and and helped me learn that job. 
I spent about six years there in in the Georgetown uh, in the Georgetown office. The one thing that that really impacted my career um, and to this day, I spend a lot of time working on chicken issues. So the poultry industry is a huge part of the Delaware economy, of the Delmarva economy, and uh, poultry certainly seems to be um, something that I'll I'll be working on almost every day. But when I started at the Georgetown office, I really didn't know much about chicken other than my mother made really great fried chicken that I loved. And other than that, (laughs) I had mentors in uh, some of the poultry companies that really helped me learn this industry and learn it well. I just fell in love with the job and working with the, the local farmers and people would come in and they wanted to figure out how to get started in farming. And the poultry industry was a great way to enable them to do that. So uh, I, I learned, you know, how to get young farmers started in business as an early thing that, that really kept me interested in the job. And, and one reason why I stayed uh, so long at Farm Credit. I transferred over to the Salisbury, Maryland office as a branch manager and then on over to back to the Denton office as a branch manager, where I really spent most of my career uh, there in Denton. While I was in Denton, I, as branch manager, of course, you know, we had um, we had a lot of lending going on, a lot of grain, a lot of growth in the chicken industry, vegetables. But also we experienced the farm crisis of the middle 1980s, and it impacted the entire country. We had had several years of drought, very low commodity prices. And I learned what it was really like to sit down at the kitchen table and spend whatever time it took to help farm families figure out how to weather a storm. People forget that we had prime rate at around 20% at the time. So any losses you took were magnified by that interest. It took a lot of cooperation between the farm families uh, and the loan officers to to figure out a way out of that mess. So while I was at the Denton office and... um, and had that experience of the farm crisis and helping people, you know, get through that. I was asked to serve on the Delmarva Poultry Industry Board of Directors and eventually moved into the role of president of DPI. And that was a perfect fit for the mission of Farm Credit, standing up for our members in time of need. So I was able to come in, get on the board of directors at DPI, the trade association for the chicken industry here on Delmarva and really help represent growers and companies and allied businesses like Farm Credit and others. And it was during that time, uh, Kirk, that I did an interview with 60 Minutes uh, with Mike Wallace on a piece entitled Big Chicken. And that sort of gave my career a boost, needless to say, for the, the advocacy side and the government affairs side of the world. It was a situation where I could step in there and do the interview as president of DPI. And of course, really what, what 60 Minutes would like to have had would have been Jim Perdue or Don Tyson or somebody on TV. But I told those guys, hey, I'll do this interview. Only my mother will be upset if I mess it up. You know, I don't have a face <laughs> label to uh, at, at risk uh, here. So I did the interview. And, and then at, at just about the same time, we were facing some water quality issues in Maryland, uh, which remained a challenge in Chesapeake Bay. But the thing that was different at the beginning of this, Maryland had a governor that wasn't particularly friendly to agriculture. 
and really like to blame agriculture for everything. And my science background, I knew that some of those accusations he was making were just plain false. So I started showing up uh, to give testimony at different Maryland General Assembly committee hearings and participated in a lot of the negotiations with ag commodity groups and environmental groups. And eventually expanded my scope of interest to show up and support uh, really anything related to agriculture, not just chicken. So what happened with that then, I was successful in doing that and Farm Credit recognized the value of me being there for our customers and they created a government affairs role. And I've got to say, you know, here, Kurt, it's probably a good time to say, I, I think working for a co-op like Farm Credit is and a company that's owned and controlled by its borrower members, it's very different. It's not just a profit-driven motive that you have. You're there to advocate and stand up for your customers because they are your bosses. They are the owners. And, and it really mm-hmm. is a, a great thing. So I moved into this government affairs role which, by the way, you have succeeded me in that role quite nicely. <laughs> and Well, I, uh, I appreciate you blazing the way. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, uh, it's, it's funny to think about now. I hung on to my loan customers as long as I could, even though I really wasn't supposed to be doing loans anymore. I think it took them almost 10 years to get the last loans away from me. I, I just love that piece <laughs> of it so much that I was trying to do both. You know, it, it, it was great. And uh, the Farm Credit Board uh, eventually asked me to expand my scope into uh, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and a little bit in D.C. So I did that. And then uh, I was probably in that role, Kurt, around 15 years, I guess. Uh, And then Mm -hmm. at the end of my career, when I was looking ahead to retirement in the the not-too-distant future, I wanted to get back a little closer to the lending side with farmers uh, again before I retired. So... I took a regional manager job that was in charge of lending on Delmarva. And that was the last formal position I had at Farm Credit. You know, I stayed in that position until I retired. Well, Kenny, I don't know how you managed to do it, but um, you just condensed over uh, 30-some-odd years of advocacy and, and working on behalf of your customers into uh, into a couple of minutes. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's quite impressive. And you mentioned a couple of things that uh, that piqued my interest when, you know, folks my age um, and certainly uh, younger, when you talk about a, a prime rate at 20%, I mean, I, I don't think many millennials can even fathom that, um, just given where interest rates have been in recent years. Just fascinating. And then you mentioned the farm crisis of the 80s the interview with Mike Wallace and the nutrient management issues in Maryland. Would it be fair to kind of consider some of that, um, some of those things, catalysts that, you know, you were clearly on a trajectory of focusing on your customers and, and advocating on behalf of ag, but it seems like those things sort of put a, a magnifying glass on the need for, for that type of role being institutionalized at, at farm credit. That's right, Kurt. And, you know, farm families are are just hardworking, noble, gracious people that uh, it's probably a little different now. But but at that time, they weren't as used to having to maybe advocate for themselves or pay attention to some of the risks that might come from overregulation and 
and that sort of thing. So um, Farm Credit saw the risk and, and chose to let me spend some time trying to address some of those things. And still to this day, as, as you are quite aware, being in that role, you're there to advocate and tell agriculture story, uh, not make excuses for agriculture because farmers never want that. They always feel like they're going to step up to the plate when they're asked to do so. You give them the right opportunity, the right science to do it right. If they think they're being treated fairly, they're going to step up and, and do what's necessary. But oftentimes, you know, they're, they're busy in the field. They're busy in a poultry house, in the dairy, uh, in the hog barn, whatever it, it might be, uh, doing their daily chores. And they're, they're not watching the General Assemblies or Congress or other things, uh, quite like others of us that our um, agribusiness professionals might have the time to do. So I think just, you know, seeing those families come through those challenges of the farm crisis of high interest rates. And Kurt, it took years for some people to work through the debt that accumulated uh, in the farm crisis. And, and mm. it's a very special thing to see uh, somebody come through that. And then when you saw them come under attack again, particularly with things that really weren't supported scientifically, then absolutely it was a catalyst to step up and say, hey, wait a minute, I'm throwing a red flag here. This isn't right. You guys need to mm -hmm. understand. Let me, let me tell you agriculture story. Let's talk about some solutions that will work uh, both environmentally and, and um, economically for farmers. As the then governor of Delaware said, Tom Carper, in a meeting with environmental groups and ag groups, when he was pondering in Delaware what to do with nutrient issues and looking how Maryland had chosen to do what they did, I'll never forget it. I was sitting right beside him, and, and on the other side was the EPA Region 3 Administrator. Tom Carper said to the group, we are not going to make a choice between the environment and a viable agriculture. We are shutting this door and we are working hard until we come up with a solution where we can have both of those things. And I, I got to tell you, that's the attitude to this day uh, that we keep at the department uh, in our nutrient management program and in all of our programs. We really look for win-win situations where we don't have to make a choice, where there is a loser. People are smart. We can figure it out. Farmers are great people that want to do the right thing. They just need somebody there in the middle to help connect those two things sometimes. I would say that that's the legacy that you brought to Farm Credit that I know in my everyday activities on behalf of Farm Credit that I, I still adhere to because I think it's important that stakeholders from, from both sides of, of the issue understand that a successful, profitable agricultural economy in this region is not mutually exclusive from a healthy, thriving environment. You know, both of those can occur at the exact same time, and there's there's a way to do it. And it starts with being able to come together at the table and and you know work through the issues, just like you said. No, I, I agree, Kurt. It's it's really satisfying when you can sit down with people and and you know it it starts with building trust. You've got to be able to trust the the people that you're sitting down with. And uh, sometimes that takes a little while uh, if it's somebody who's got a differing opinion from yourself. And we need to learn to be good good listeners. Uh, 
and, and also good speakers and strong advocates when a strong voice is needed. So it's having the judgment to figure out when to use that strong voice and when to listen. It gets tricky sometimes. Very good point. We've got 10,000 reasons why you should study agriculture. The Farm Credit Foundation for Agricultural Advancement is awarding $10,000 scholarships to students looking to pursue a career in agriculture. Not sure if you fit the bill? There's way more to agriculture than farming. Maybe you want to be a veterinarian, a lawyer, or even an ag teacher. The opportunities are endless. Head to fcfoundationforag.org to learn more and submit your application by January 8, 2021. One of your passions, as you as you previously mentioned, is helping young farmers get started and and helping provide them the tools to be successful. And I know one of the ways throughout your career that you've been instrumental in that regard is heavy involvement with ag leadership development programs. And I know when you were uh, sitting president of the Lead Maryland Foundation, I had the opportunity to go through the program. I'm a class four grad, and I know you were heavily involved in the class to the, to the point where uh, we we were able to to make you an, an honorary uh, graduate of class four, which I'm still tickled about. <laughs> and oh, I, 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 still... I, me too, Kurt. I'm, I, I, I hold that as quite an honor to be an honorary member of class four. And uh, as you remember, we traveled to China together for uh, international study tour and all the classes of Lead Maryland and Lead Delaware and, and the Pennsylvania Rule Program and the Nuff Fields. All, it, it's so great because all the people are great. But, uh, you know, don't tell anybody, but class four is still special to me. Your secret's safe with me and, and all of our listeners to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that's, you know, you mentioned, I mean, you're, you're still involved with uh, Pennsylvania's Ag Leadership Development Program. You're a co-founder and continue to co-direct the Lead Delaware Program. In your opinion, what, why are they so critical to advocacy efforts and to making sure that ag has a voice years to come? That's a really good question. And the obvious thing is to say that we're teaching those up and coming leaders the skills and giving them the confidence and the practice to do a media interview, to do testimony uh, at a public hearing, things like that. Those are the outward things that you see. The other thing that that maybe is, um, well, a couple of things um, that perhaps people don't think about when they get in the program. They really learn a lot about themselves and what style of leader they are and then how they can interact with others to get their message across. You know, there's no one leadership style or personality style uh, that, okay, this personality type, you're a leader, this personality, you're not. Everybody can be a leader. They just need to find that inner leadership in themselves and, and learn what their style is and learn how to use that you know, for advocacy. And then the other thing is building a network. Uh, relationships really matter. And these state leadership programs and sometimes county leadership programs, but state leadership programs, and you have a lot of interaction between the states. And of course, we've done that purposefully so that when we have a mid-Atlantic type of issue, then uh, farmers in the region might know one another and know who to reach out to. And then across the country, uh, as you know, there are uh, several times when uh, those groups can come together, particularly in Washington, D.C., and meet one another. 
So all of a sudden, your network includes local farmers that you know, your friends and neighbors, other farmers in the state, other farmers around the country. And then with Nuffield Farming Scholars coming into the United States, it now extends internationally. So you can very quickly find someone to help you understand an issue or advocate for an issue or come up with fresh ideas literally around the world. So it, it's, it's a wonderful thing. It's, it's, uh, I would encourage any up-and-coming farmer, uh, farm leader, to, uh, to participate in these leadership programs. It, it's, it's the opportunity of a lifetime. I, I couldn't agree more, Kenny. Um, I think you, you hit the nail in the head, too, when you talk about the importance of the network and uh, building through these programs. I know for me, when I went through Maryland's program, it put my career path on a, on a whole different trajectory. And to this day, I recognize the importance that the program played both in my professional development, but just as important, as you say, my personal development. And so um, I continue to be, to be active in, in Maryland's and our neighboring state, states uh, ag leadership programs too. So I, I completely agree. And, I, and, you know, without sounding like a broken record, that's probably a, another a legacy of, of your, your time at Farm Credit and, and institutionalizing that as a, as a major focus for, um, for our efforts. Well, and, and kudos to Farm Credit to allow that, Kurt. You know, they, you know very well, and we just had this conversation within the last couple of days about financial support for our leadership programs, and, and Farm Credit mm -hmm. stepped up for each of our programs when there was a need, when those programs were young and fledgling and just getting off the ground. Farm Credit was there to, uh, to support those programs and also give of your time uh, and energy I know how much time you spend with those leadership programs, and it's a lot. And it's a good thing, though. I, I really feel like the agriculture community gets a good return for the investment made both by the participants uh, when they enter as fellows and also the agribusinesses uh, that support the leadership programs. It scares me to think where we might be if we didn't have farmer advocates there to tell our story. And now more than ever, I think it's just really important farming being a very small percentage of the overall population we got a great story to tell but we need those people trained and willing to step up and and tell that story well said we've we've got to build that bench and keep those new recruits so to speak coming through the pipeline it's a vicious rumor kurt that some of us are getting a little bit long in in the tooth and might be adding a few years on so i think you're exactly right we need to pass that baton on to this next generation well, and, and you certainly you certainly couldn't have been speaking about yourself by any means, Kenny. <laughs> no, no, certainly not, Kurt. <laughs> so you retired from Farm Credit in 2015. Again, close to four decades of service to, to Farm Credit in various roles. But you didn't kick back and relax for very long before jumping right back into the fray. What dragged you off the hiking trails and, and back into the working world? Well, Kurt, jokingly, I tell people that I was kidnapped by the secretary and by the governor in Delaware and put back to work and, and that my wife might have had a hand in getting me out of the house. Uh, but uh, honestly, I, I wasn't looking to go back to work, but the opportunity came when Secretary Skuse, who was just coming off his eight years 
at USDA in Washington and spent his last almost year as acting U.S. Deputy Secretary of Agriculture. He was coming back into Delaware as the secretary for his, his second stint. Uh, he, was, he was secretary um, uh, prior to going to Washington, D.C., and just the opportunity when, when asked by the governor to join that team to represent farmers again and to be able to interact with the secretary and uh, learn from him and his, uh, his experience in Washington, it was really something I, I couldn't resist, Kurt. You know, it, it, it just hit me uh, right in my wheelhouse. And it's really been good. It's been almost four years now. And on a daily basis... I get to work on agriculture issues, and you don't know what they're going to be when you walk into the office in the morning, but you can well believe you've got a good team behind you at our departments of ag in our states. You can find an answer for constituents when they need it, or help advocate for for agriculture in a way that uh, maybe surprised me a little bit. I, I don't know why I say that, but uh, because I certainly worked with all the state departments of agriculture, and they were always advocates. But I always thought, you know, well, there's this regulatory piece at our departments of ag. And after all, they are a regulator in the end. But really, you know, my experience is, and, and an aha moment for me working there is, it's educate, educate, and educate. And then in the end, if there are no other options, there are times when you might have to regulate. But that's the last tool in the toolbox. And uh, that's really refreshing to see that, you know, up close and personal and really understand. Uh, I, I had the, that feeling, but, but now I know for sure uh, that our folks at our state departments of ag and the national organizations that represent ag, they're really looking out for agriculture. And um, they have farmers' best interest at, at heart. You know, it's an interesting observation because if anyone can can provide the perspective of both interacting from the outside and interacting from the inside with our our departments of agriculture it it's you and so <clears throat> to provide that perspective is is pretty darn interesting i know we're we're pretty lucky here in the mid-atlantic region that by and large the relationships that the ag communities have with their departments of agriculture is is strong and as you say is at times as much an advocacy effort as it is a regulatory effort so it's interesting to hear that that perspective so you mentioned every day can be different presented different challenges and one of the challenges that we faced here in, in 2020 unfortunately has been the COVID-19 pandemic unfortunately so how has that impacted your, your role and your, your duties at the Department of Agriculture? Any silver linings or positive takeaways for agriculture as a result of, of navigating through, through COVID? I know it's tough to put a, a silver lining on something as, as terrible and, um, and damaging as COVID-19, but I think sometimes it's the farm credit way to try to look at something from a positive angle. Thankfully, now, having the perspective of... Uh what, over six months, seven months of experience of coming through COVID, there are definitely some silver linings. Um, we had our challenges, you know. Um, I was just talking to somebody the other day about the fact that it seems like a lifetime ago that we were first coming into COVID and our poultry plants here on Delmarva particularly 
were experiencing higher than normal absenteeism and having trouble getting birds processed and, you know, supplying consumers with, with their expected uh, walk to the meat case and have every single cut of every kind of meat that you want. You know, for the first time that I can remember, we didn't have that. And there were some challenges, not necessarily in the supply side, although when there were worker shortages in the plants, we had some supply issues. But uh, just around logistics, transportation, perhaps a company was used to dealing with restaurants and and schools or commercial type of customers. And, and you know, they're selling chicken in a case of four 10-pound bags or, or whatever it might be. And that doesn't fit on the grocery store shelf very well. So that became a real challenge in the plants. And it's it's actually one of the things that I consider a silver lining. You know, this, this summer, the uh, Secretary's Award for Agriculture was awarded to one of our partners in a state agency at the Department of Health. And it was that interaction and this is another really great thing that I learned, Kurt, that government really can function when it needs to. Um, the Department of Health really worked closely with the poultry companies, and the poultry companies really wanted to do the right thing to protect their workers and keep consumers, you know, in supplied with good food. And with that partnership with, with the Department of Ag, Department of Health, uh, Labor, uh, even federal partners coming in, CDC, OSHA, AFIS, I mean, all, all kinds of partners. Everybody had the same goal in mind. And it didn't take too long, if you think about it, even though we were all sort of frightened there for a little bit, it didn't take us too long to get that supply uh, chain restored in the grocery store. So to me, I, I think in spite of that little bit of a hiccup, and it was maybe a good tabletop exercise we can all learn from, hopefully the last. But it, but it really, it, yeah, it really is a success story um, in the end when you think about it. And and there were others. It was it was more than just poultry. You know, farmers markets at the beginning of this. We've got some wonderful farmers markets, and I'm not talking about the individual farmer having a market on their farm property, but. You know, the uh, the community farmers markets where a lot of vendors come together to sell their products. Those things have been so successful and they're so wonderful. They've become a social gathering place for folks. So they go out there for the experience of being there as well as buying all the nice products are there. But early on, that presented a problem for social distancing and all of those things that we were worried about. So... We had to keep our markets closed for a while until we could get a best practices, you know, standard in place of how many people can we let in the market and how can we protect the food and how can we distance the clerks from the customers and, you know, different things like that. We had to close farm and equipment auctions. And of course, that also was painful to a lot of people. Farmers that wanted to buy equipment at auction couldn't get access to it. Auctioneers were losing business. But, you know, those are those are widely attended. And initially, mm-hmm. until we figured out how to do that uh, right, we had to close those. Um, guest workers coming into the state of Delaware to harvest vegetables uh, were a challenge. And many of them were coming out of Florida right when Florida was having a big uptick in cases. And we had to make sure that we had workers coming in that were checked for COVID when they arrived. 
and also have provision for a way to isolate them if they did become sick and not, you know, infect uh, all of their other workers. So we certainly had our challenges. And I guess, you know, laughingly now, because we're doing this on a, uh, a Zoom platform, uh, this, this interview, uh, for the readers to, or listeners to know uh, how we're doing this. Uh, but we've all learned how to communicate via Zoom and WebEx and Skype and every other thing. So uh, we've become quite proficient at having meetings uh, remotely and virtually. So I'm not sure if that's a silver lining, Kurt, or a curse. I'm not sure which of those. Uh, <laughs> but but we certainly I have know. learned how to, how to do that. Early on, uh, it was a blessing. And, and now when you look at your calendar, uh, some days there's three three Zooms in one day and, and you're... Uh, you know, hearkening back to the days when you can get away from your desk and go to an in-person meeting and shoot the breeze in the hallway and, and get the real work of the meeting done. I don't know if I will ever complain about having to go to a meeting again, if it's a face-to-face -face meeting. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> you bring up excellent points about COVID. And I think the takeaway there is so many moving parts, so many things that were firsts, right? So many things that people had never experienced before, or if they had, they'd, they'd been blips on the radar screen. And I think it's a testament to how quickly agriculture responded, pivoted, however you want to term it. But the fact that they did so, so quickly is incredible. And I think when we hear criticisms of responses to COVID and, you know, this wasn't done quick enough or, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking on, on different things, I think it's good to stand back and think about how challenging it was. And yet people really stepped up. And in particular, the ag community stepped up to make sure, yes, the meat department didn't look like it did prior to COVID. Uh, there were a couple of weeks uh, where, like you say, the, the cuts that you were used to seeing and then some weren't there, but maybe there was a new cut that traditionally had gone to a restaurant that was now available because that's what was going through the processing facility. So a lot of different aspects to it. And I try to be pretty cautious about being critical of the responses to, to this pandemic. And um, I mean, I, I think scholastics and, and uh, academics are going to have decades worth of materials to study and, and write books about and, and everything else. And it's interesting times we live in, that's for sure. Well, and I, I hope, Kurt, in the end, there will be a better appreciation for our food supply and better knowledge of how food reaches our table and understanding. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't just happen. There's a lot of science, there's a lot of hard work, there's a lot of planning and transportation and infrastructure to give us really the most abundant, affordable, healthy food supply in the world. And we enjoy, as, as you well know, um, it, what are we, 10 cents on a dollar, roughly, out of our, out of our yeah. uh, budget uh, for our food in this country. It's extraordinary. And that en enables us to really have a, a standard of living and enjoy other things so that we don't have to take all of our dollars and spend on food. Uh, but it, pre it presents a challenge, too. So I think 
many people in the agriculture industry have, have been great at telling agriculture story for years now. But I think this single act of COVID appearing, I'm hopeful that it will cause everybody to take pause and say, okay, let me understand this system a little better, how this food chain works and how does food leave a farm uh, and arrive at the grocery store? You know, what are the risks to me as a consumer? And and then when I walk back in again and I see the meat case full, and I, I know for myself, I watch the meat case and, and, and all of our fresh veggies and everything else uh, like a hawk now, you know, and, and I'm looking for what cuts are there. And I just marvel that we've been able to recover like we have and restore that supply. And I and I look at the price. You know, the price is right at this minute in the meat case. You know, meat is very affordable again in this in this country. Uh, so I, I hope consumers will learn a new appreciation for that in the end. Well, I'm I'm going to. Uh switch things up a little bit uh, on you here, Kenny. I've got one more new segment that you'll be my guinea pig on uh, before we get to our closing question. And this is our, our lightning round. So I'll give you five pairs of related items and you have to pick your preference between the pair. Are you ready, <laughs> Dr. Bounds? Well, well, Kurt, first I want to know what the prize is. There must be a significant award for winning winning this um, this lightning round. You hit the nail on the head, Kenny. Uh, winners of the lightning round win a chance at being invited on the podcast again. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a wonderful opportunity, Kurt. That's fair enough. <laughs> okay, so Scrapple or Bacon? Scrapple. Royal Farms or Wawa? Royal Farms. Louis L'Amour or Charles Dickens? L'Amour. Chicken and waffles or chicken and dumplings? Oh, Kurt, that's, that's, there's, chicken and waffles can't even be on the same sheet of music as chicken and dumplings. What are you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going for the dumplings. That's, uh, that's the smart choice, smart choice. Now, your final question, possibly the most important, IPA or stout? Oh, boy. There's a lot of IPA drinkers out there, and I love them, too, but I'm a stout guy. i got to go with that stout. Well, congratulations, Kenny. you got three out of five. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can um, – <laughs> I uh, when I when I first uh, asked to uh, guest host, I said I, I got to have like a uh, some kind of special segment, and so uh, so I appreciate you indulging me there, Kenny. <laughs> well, and you know me well with the questions you ask her. <laughs> <laughs> they were well curated. <laughs> okay, so we've got uh, the the lightheartedness out of the way, and and we'll finish up with a a serious question. The the reason why we're on the podcast and the sign off question kenny is what do you advocate for in agriculture oh wow kurt um that's an interesting way to ask that question indeed because there are so many specific things that you advocate for and and opportunities you you try to push forward and challenges that you see and 
and maybe things you even fight that you think are harmful. But overall, I guess if you wrap that all up into a general answer, it's just the opportunity for our farm families to be able to continue to provide us with that safe and abundant food supply that we talked about uh, in a way that's fair and equitable uh, for them, you know, for government to regulate only when necessary and to uh, promote agriculture as a great way of life, a great business. And by the way, a very essential thing to us in this country to uh, enjoy the food supply we have. So I think, uh, I think that probably, uh, you know, probably answers it for me. I, it's probably something else I'm forgetting there, but uh, yeah, just uh, give our farm families the opportunity to do the right things and to feed us all with a great abundant food supply. Well said, Kenny. Well said. And if you, if you uh, wake up in the middle of the night pondering uh, that question further, uh, we can always, be a to be continued at the next time we have you on the podcast. <laughs> That's fair enough. Sir. <laughs> well, Kenny, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate uh, your time this afternoon. I can't tell you how much I appreciate the insight and uh, sharing your advocacy efforts and and journey with us. Thank you for your long career and support of ag in the region and. Hope to have you uh, on again uh, sometime in the near future. I hope even more that we can uh, get together in person sometime soon and uh, in a in a safe way and, and enjoy some value-added agricultural beverages in support of the industry. And uh, uh, look forward to uh, catching up with you again soon. Thanks, Kurt. I really enjoyed it. It's great talking to you. Thanks, Kenny. And remember, folks, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. You can get podcast notes and subscribe to email alerts at mafc.com slash podcast. And if you have any topic or guest suggestions for us, send them to podcast at mafc.com. Thanks for your time and attention, and please stay well.